You walk into this room at your own risk. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. The signpost up ahead, your next stop, the twilight zone. That the sons of God saw, the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I don't know anybody else that ever prayed it, maybe we said it. We live in a generation that's literally brainwashed. I've never seen anything like it in my life. This generation will embrace anything. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And I'm here today to tell you that we're actually hacking the software of life. You live in an insane society, for there is no fear of God in their eyes. And we're in a fight for our lives. The church is being persecuted like it's never been persecuted before. And some churches refuse to even open up. They're so afraid. And it, it, will, it will be biblical. We've never lived at a time like we're living in right now. But you know, if God should stamp eternity or even judgment on our eyeballs, or if you like, on the fleshy table of our hearts, I'm quite convinced we'd be a very, very different tribe of people, God's people in the world today. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Good evening, it is Saturday, March the 27th, 2021, and I said evening, it's 7.45 p.m., this is a special evening, Saturday evening version of the Removing Confusion podcast. I'm Tom Richardson. I am your host. We're going to go over some things that kind of have me a little wound up. a new opening I put together uh, just to shake things up a little bit you know I was watching Tucker Carlson this morning taped him from yesterday and uh, he was talking about the military <laughs> he actually called one guy a doughy moron or something like that and that would be our I think it was no it wasn't it was it was actually one of the generals but uh, he was definitely talking about our new Secretary of Defense who his name has escaped me but that's okay it escaped Joe Biden too so I don't feel so bad they are doing some things in our military that I don't understand when I was in back in the 80s and right up to 90. I had men that were in charge. Generals that were, I mean, and I'm, you know, first of all, I had a female for a, 
uh, company commander at one time, but she was, she was tough. But, uh, I was a, I was a, I wasn't a, you know, a grunt or, you know, one of those, you know, I was a, I was a truck driver. I'm not afraid to admit that I, I did work in, uh, the background, but you know, we had a, a pretty good agreement out there that, you know, this was a man's ballywick at that point yet. We still, we didn't worry about things like, maternity flight suits and how form fitting we can make the uniform and those kind of things it seemed to be forefront here and you know something when these things are being talked about a lot they're hiding something from they're getting you stirred up about this so that they can get away with that you know what i'm saying that's how the government operates but they're serious you know what what's happening what is happening you know the other thing is you know we're going to go after anybody who voted for trump basically we're going to go after you because you are a white supremacist even if you're a hispanic or if you're an african american that voted for him you are not you you could be a radical you could cause another chaos at the capitol type of an event but we won't talk about all the things that happened in places like, oh, I don't know, Seattle, Portland, Oregon. People died there. Many people died there. As far as we really know at this point in time, because things are really locked down about the capital thing, is the only person who died there by someone else's hand is the young lady that tried to go through the window and got shot by the capital cop. Even the Capitol policeman that they, they swore was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher, you know, hours after it happened, after it was all done and over, the only thing he told his brother on the phone as he was talking to him was, well, I got, I got some tear gas a couple of times there, pepper sprayed. And then somewhere along the line, he either had a heart attack or had a stroke. They're lying to us about everything that happened that day so they can keep our, our, our troops locked up in their little hell hole down there at the Capitol now with the fences and it looks like a third world country. It looks like a communist plateau that Nancy's always wanted. Well, now she's got it. Anywho, let's go on. They want us to not see something that's happening right in front of our eyes. Now, I don't know what it is. Usually you have to look pretty deep into the background and you start to pick things out. Um, sometimes we just have to trust God. We, let me rephrase that. All the time we have to trust God. But when it comes to dealing with any government, and the more you learn about how governments become what they are and their backstories, and you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you know, and you see where God selected some, I guess it's angelic beings to be over the nations. And there were something like 70 of them back then. It explains a lot because those aren't all good guys. Some of them are 
bad, simply put. That's a whole other thing we can get into it another day. But the, but I want to focus on today, is, or tonight, this evening. I did this once already, and I, I, I put something in earlier when I did it that I had to re, re, uh, rethink, re, uh, restudy it out a little bit, and I had to remove it. I could have probably cut and pasted it, but it was easier. I, I started thinking about how things went earlier this morning, and it, I decided that I'd just do this over because it, it warrants it. We have a military that they are trying to demilitarize <laughs> to a certain degree. They're trying to feminize it. They're trying to radicalize it in the left-hand type of radicalization. They're racializing it. Well, if we got to get rid of all the white people in the in the military, except for those that are uh, Biden supporters. Look, you know, when I was in, it was uh, Reagan and Bush, and I liked them. I ain't a big Bush fan, but I liked Reagan. Uh, I was in from 86 to 90, so I served under him for two years as the commander-in-chief in Bush for two years. I got called back in 91 to go to Desert Storm, but by the time I got my uniforms and <laughs> got in line to do anything, they sent me back to the house. But that's beside the point. You know, even if I didn't agree with them, they were, they were the president. I just, that's what I had to do. But I actually, I did my, my politics lined up. I voted for both of them, but, uh, you know, a a, a fighting man and woman, the, the soldiers that we have, they, they're in there for a reason. Most of them are because they couldn't get a job due to the economy under certain presidents we've had in the recent past. Some of them have the patriotic duty that they want to fulfill in their lives. And some of them, there are groups who have their people join the military and go for the most extreme version of it, the Rangers, the SEALs, the Force Recon Marines, uh, Green Berets, the whole nine. Learn the trades of, of killing so that when you come back to us, usually it's groups like MS-13, Crips, Bloods, those types. They they have military guys that have, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to advocate that everybody that's of, of any, the black or brown race who joined the military go out to be a, a, a gangbanger. That is not, the, these are a limited few. They are a limited few, but it does happen. You know, th- there's something that just doesn't gel right with me ever since this guy took the office of president and the radicalness of everything started to fly. You know, we're seeing something that we spiritually need to see now. We really do, because I, I, I've, said it, I've said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are not in charge. Barack Obama's in charge. Barack Obama is in charge. And uh, 
I got a I've got a clip and I believe I've played it before. I'm going to play it again because it bears us reminding ourselves of the man saying things from his own mouth. He said right off right out right out the get. Now he was trying to be funny, I think when he did it. But uh the humor is wearing thin on me. And I think it is everybody else. If you really think about it, you know, he he wanted that third term. He would he was trying to change the twenty second amendment when he was in to see if he could sneak in for a third term. Barack Obama wants power. He wants to be in control. He wants people to know that he is the guy that's pulling the strings. Now, you know, some of this stuff get me knocked right off the old anchor, (laughs) I would imagine, if I keep it up. But I'm going to play this clip. This is Obama in his own words. That's if I can get my little dealio here to work. It doesn't seem like it wants you right now. So here we go. What you know now, do you wish like you had a sec, uh, a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man, or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could s- sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I- I'd be fine with that. Come on, man. What are we talking Stop. You know, when the technical difficulties go on here, they really go on. But anyway, you get the picture. Come on, man. He's not really, he was just kidding. No, he wasn't. That man loves to have his hand. Why do you think he's got a couple of million dollar homes, but yet he's got a compound that he set up right there in Washington, D.C., a few blocks down from the uh, White House, where he spent the entire Trump presidency undermining everything that Trump did. Now it's, hey, we got to have everything working good for Joe until I can knock him out of the way and put my other girl in charge. I'm telling you, folks, don't let these people fool you. And if you want to call it conspiracy theory, you just wait and see what happens. Let it shake out. The truth always ends up coming out sooner or later. But, you know, that's my opinion. I'm using the man's own words. Don't let him t- try to ha-ha guffaw that off. He's not that, he's not that funny, and he's not that good of a speecher either. Speecher, neither am I. But, you know, you want to see something. You ought to see that uh, eulogy he did for uh, that senator, the, the, uh, the African-American black guy. Cannot remember his name right off the top of my head either right now, but he that just passed away as a civil rights leader in the Senate forever. And the eulogy that Obama gave was ridiculous. I mean, he he went off on so many different rabbit trails that didn't have anything to do with eulogizing the man. He he talked more about his own he's a narcissist. 
a narcissist who seeks all the power he can get. And he's got it. People have given him something that he, he doesn't righteously deserve in my book. I don't like him. I don't like his, I don't like how he presents himself. I don't like, uh, much anything about the guy really. And there you go. Um, I probably just got thrown off of every platform that I've got if they're listening, but you know, fortunate for me, I can say just about anything. Nobody's listening except for the NSA. I forgot about them. They hear everything. They hear everything. Hey, the other thing's kind of cool. Let's get off that. Cause that's, that's dragging. It's dragging me down is UFO disclosures. How about that? It's finally, we're going to start hearing besides from the conspiracy guys like me and George Norrie and Art Bell and uh, Steve Quayle and a few other ones. And, you know, we've proven a lot of these guys, they've proven their, their, their stuff already that, you know, there is something in the skies. Okay. Uh, Unidentified flying objects, unidentified aerial phenomena whatever you want to call it and you know not everything you see is an alien well i'll tell you the truth in my book nothing you see is an alien it may be alien to this planet or alien to our way of life but uh they've been around for a long time i think it was dr uh john mack i want to say that made the uh, the uh the the uh, crossover illusion, uh, illusion that they're not extraterrestrial. These these uh, things that we see, they're not extraterrestrial. They're extra dimensional, uh, dimensional or interdimensional. They're they're slipping in and out of two dimensions, at least two. And. We're going to get into that right now. That's a a perfect segue right into uh, something that has interested me for a long time. And uh, it is the veil between the two dimensions. That dimension of the spiritual realm and the dimension that we live in. I told you it's going to be like the outer limits or something, right? No, it's going to be biblical. Let's go to go to Second Kings if you want to in your Bible, and go to chapter six, Second Kings chapter six. This is a a pretty well known story or account. I like to use the word account. Story sounds too fabulous. Nothing in the Bible is a fable. Nothing in the Bible is fake. Everything that we read and see, that everything that that is recorded happened in one way or another. This is a really good one. This is a really good one. And I believe that if we seek God out enough and, and do what we're supposed to, these things can be revealed to us as well. If you're at second Kings chapter six. Okay. Okay, we're going to start in verse 16. And he answered, wait a minute, let's go to 15. Because what's, what's going on? We'll go to what's going on. Uh, that when, the servant, when, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city. 
both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, unto the man of God, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Or, you know, what should we do? How are we going to get out of this with our skin, is what he's thinking. Now, this is Elisha and his servant. And Elisha is going to answer him in verse 16. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. That's an awesome statement. And it's carried over into the New Testament. You know, it's, it's that same, you know, who can, if, if God be for us, who be against us? I think it's in the Psalms as well. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and beheld, or and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elijah. Elisha. Now, you know, just a few verses, just a little little synopsis right out of the, of the middle of a chapter of the veil between here and there being opened for a period of time so that a select few could see. I believe that veil is getting very thin in our day. Now, we know about the veil in the temple in the day that Jesus was uh, crucified. The veil in the temple ripped right down the middle. That thing was huge. It wasn't just some little curtain. It was like four inches thick, and you know they say it weighed maybe a couple tons. It was so big. It was a big thing. It was, and it you know you didn't just grab it and rip it, but God just said, Whack, ripped it right down the middle. That separation. That that was the separation between man and God. Was that veil that kept regular everyday human man could not go in there uh, where the uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was into the Holy of Holies or he would die. If the high priest went in there and sin was found on him, he would die. They, they wrapped a rope around him and, and you know a bell if he was on his ankle or something. And if they didn't hear the bell, then they knew he's dead and they'd pull him out and send in somebody new. <laughs> what a job, right? But... God ripped that veil down the middle because he said, nothing separates me from my people. Only their sin will separate us now. And that's, that's what we need to work on. We need to work on ourselves, of, of making ourselves holy and presentable to God as much as we can. Now, we have trouble with all that, but, you know. Greater are they who are with us than they that are with them. That is something we can take to heart. Uh, you know, I believe what the Bible says. I also believe that we have to know the context of things and, and you know, who, who the Bible was written to in its original configurations and texts. It wasn't written to Tom. Uh, just, just so I'm not 
offending anyone. I'm going to use myself. It wasn't written just to me, a Western thinking guy. It was written to a bunch of people in the Middle East. The Old Testament was written specifically to the Jew. Now, that doesn't mean it's not for us. See, there's the, there's the takeaway. You know, God sent his word out in the New Testament to make a, a, a great analogy uh, or a picture. Uh, I heard uh, Michael Heiser say it this way. was, It's like a dandelion when it turns white, you know, and, and the wind hits it and it just goes to the four winds, you know, or wherever, just poof, and it's gone. That's kind of what God did. He, he brought the message first to the Jew and then to the barbarians, the Greeks, the Romans, whoever would listen. But it was like that dandelion. He just, and there it went, seeds everywhere. And those seeds landed and grew. And, uh, you know, things kind of change over a period of time. You know, the, the ability to take uh, Greek text, which almost at, at the time of Jesus, the whole Bible for, the, for them would have been uh, the Tanakh or the Old Testament. It hadn't been the New Testament started getting written uh, in the later parts of the first century, 30, 40 years even after Jesus passed was taken to uh, uh, to Calvary and arose from the grave, you know, 20, 30 years at least that before the writings started to happen. But, you know, it, that's the, the beauty of it is God didn't want anybody left out. He wanted us all to have a peace, and he wanted us to all be at peace with Jesus and understand the wonderful sacrifice that had been done for us because we are sinners. And when you sin, you sin not against each other. You Well, you do, but you sin mostly. It's against God. Sin, sin automatically is against God. And there's other analogies I can use I will not right now because I don't want to. It's getting late. What I do want to say, though, what, I want to, what I'm trying to get across is try to get in the context, find somebody who understands this Middle Eastern thinking process. We need to de-Westernize our thinking when we get into the Bible and understand that there is some very significant spiritual aspects of this Bible that we are never going to hear about from preachers standing in pulpits. I've figured that out a long time ago. I attend church, and I do it rather religiously, and I don't do it because I need to be saved every Sunday or that it's the thing that I have to do to retain my salvation. I do it because I want to fellowship with others, and I have a position in the church that I'm in. Albeit small, it's, it's a position, and although our church is small, it's a position, and I take it serious. We do have some fun, but I take it serious. What I do, I do unto the Lord first and then everybody else afterwards. That's the way you have to look at it. Everything that you do is an audience of one, and that one is the most important one, and that is Jesus Christ. 
and God the Father, who are one. Look, I'm trying not to be hard to follow or understand, and these things are, are sometimes difficult. They go deep. You know, try to get the context, if you can, of the the Bible, how it's trying to tell us things. You know, I know people that they take it literalists, you know, and literalists are fine, but some things are not to be taken literally. And you can get into a lot of trouble doing that. Because some of it is figurative. Some of it is uh, semantic or it's a simile, you know, whatever the, the proper term is. You know, God trying to show you something. Now, these these things like, you know, in, in this where the axe head floated to the top of the river, that's that happened. This one where this young fellow got to see the uh, angel army, that happened. He saw it. Sure, it changed his life. If we were to see it, it would change ours as well. I, I would pray it would. And I hope that we can go by faith, even though not seeing such things. But I do believe that if you ask God and you, you keep asking, maybe, you know, he'll maybe show you some stuff. It's not a, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And especially now I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is my firm belief It's not even my opinion. It's my firm belief that we are living on borrowed time. We are roller coastering our way into the last days. We're going through them. They're happening all around us. And we have better get a a, a firm grasp on that. I know a lot of people that don't. I know a lot of people that do. Listen to the ones that do, the ones that get it. They know something. I'm going to give you some reading to do. Well, first off, read that little bit that we just talked about. Opening that, call it, I I, I say it this way. I believe there is a thinning of that veil between man and the spiritual plane. And that's not new agey, and that's not uh, the psychic reader down the street. That's straight up biblical Christianity, biblical spirituality, that there is a thinning of the veil, that there there are going to be some things revealing to us as we go along. And we have to ask God. I mean, you can't just, hey, I want to see, you know, earnestly wondering after what is happening around us, earnestly looking at things like, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Matthew 24 and 25. They're parallel with uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. The Olivet Discourse. Look at those pieces of Scripture. And how they mesh and fit together. The book of Revelation. 
as I do believe some of the book of Revelation is revealing itself to us as we go. Has the rider on the pale horse started to ride? Have all the horsemen started to ride that we read about in Revelation? I believe so. I believe so. We need to be awake. We need to be sober and alert, as Peter wrote. For the devil, our adversary, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Don't allow anyone to keep you from fellowshipping, as it says in Hebrews 10, I believe 35. Forsaking not the gathering of yourselves together as the day approaches. The day's approached. The day's over here. Know that. Know that. A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years to the Lord. I think it's time to call it a, a night. Take into consideration just how how far people are trying to pull away from God. Go the other direction. Go, go closer to. You will not regret a closer walk with the Lord. Study His Word. Find good teachers. Find good other authors. Learn, learn, learn. It's not against the rules. This is Tom Richardson. Have a great day from the Removing Confusion podcast.